All right, tell me that story. So I live in a town where my great-grandmother lived when she was a young woman raising her family. Um, And in fact, I knew her because she was 16 when my grandmother was born. Oh, wow. And my grandmother was 26 when my mother was born, and my mother was 25 when I was born. So what would that make? She was only in her 60s when I was born, which is just kind of shocking. Yeah. And we would come to visit her. She lived in a house close to Newark, which is the nearest big city. It was a two-family house. She lived on the top floor with my great-aunt Rose, who had encephalitis as a child Mm -hmm. and was incapacitated for the rest of her life. And my my great-grandmother took care of her. Um, And in fact, it was after Rose died that my great-grandmother died when I was about 14. But she used to joke, my nanny, my great-grandmother, that she was illiterate in three languages. (laughs) Because she knew English, she knew Yiddish, and I think she knew Russian, but she didn't know how to read in any of them. But she was the true sort of central matriarch of that family. And so she never finished, I'm not sure she finished grade school. Probably not. my grandmother never finished high school. They were so poor that she had to go to work at 16. She was very beautiful. She became a model. And she met my grandfather and they got married very young. Um, And then... Their daughter, my mother, got a PhD. Wow. And so in three generations, my great-grandmother, who was truly illiterate, my grandmother, who could read and was an incredible speaker, she became this very powerful public speaker Hmm. um, without a high school degree. And then my mom, who went on to get a PhD and become a professor. and How amazing. And so... And then I think about me for whom, of course, I was going to work. There was no question. That was, you know, I was going to go to college. I was going to find a job. And I waited until my 30s to get married. So it was this whole different trajectory. Um, But that this is all in the space of 100 years. Wow. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. It's astonishing. And I don't think about it much. But when I do, it's just like, Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know that there is this much, and perhaps that's why where we are where we are in the in the difficulties, because there's been so much change in the past hundred years. There's been so much change, and for, and for for many of we women, of course, we know that this is not globally true. But yes. But for but for our class of women, um, the opportunities have been mind-boggling, really compared to even 50 years ago. Yes, yes. And I think about my mom, who got married right out of college and um, had to fight to go back to school, that that it is, thank goodness, things are so yeah. different. With my great-grandmother, I may have told you this story before, but um, when my parents moved to the house that I grew up in, my great-grandmother dug out three peony plants from her garden and gave them to my mom. <gasps> and she planted them in her garden where they flourished for 40 years. And when we moved to this house, we dug up the peonies and brought them here. Oh, Julie. And so they are just about 
they're a few weeks away from blooming, but they're at just that point where you can see the buds and the ants are crawling all over them. And yes. every time they bloom, I think about my great grandmother. And I, that I've got goosebumps. I mean, what a, what an amazing what what do you call that an heirloom it's an heirloom it is. peony it's an heirloom peony it's a peony with a story it's it's got this it's well it's interesting because my grandmother moved to the city and never had a garden but my hmm. great grandmother for my great grandmother her garden was a deep source of pleasure for mm-hmm. her and for my mother the same thing and it's interesting because I fought that my whole childhood. I was like, I don't, I don't like the garden. I don't want a garden in the garden. She was trying to, you know, I remember when I was really little, she showed me how radishes, you know, we planted the seeds. We saw the radish and I was like, that's fine, but I'm not, I have no interest in this. And now the garden is again a deep source of so, pleasure. I know it is. I know you're deeply into it. And those peonies... When we had to regrade because we had flooding in our backyard, that was the only thing I said to the people working, just make sure the peonies don't die. It was like July and it was so hot and I was worried that they were, actually it was May, but it was very hot and it was, they hadn't bloomed yet and they didn't bloom that year, but they survived. You know, it's very interesting to hear you talk about that because uh, on Sunday we had Jani and Luana for dinner. And um, it's so wonderful to have arrived at a point in the Italian language where although our grammar is still horrendous, we don't think about it anymore. We just babble on. And so we're able to have these very deep, intimate discussions with Gianni and Luana like you and I right Mm now. Mm -hmm. Um, And at one point, Gianni was asking me something. He he was actually, he was praising me about the garden. Um, in a way that I'd, I've never felt really seen by him before. It's as though he he's really seeing something. And, um, and then he asked me something about my childhood, and I ended up telling a story about how my parents and my brother and I would go on holidays when, when I was a kid every year for a couple of weeks in the motorbike and sidecar. My, my my father and brother were on the motorbike and my mother and I were in the sidecar. What a picture. Yeah, it was really quite amazing. And we would tour Cornwall, Devon, blah, blah, blah. And my, my mother, who was an avid gardener, and this is after the war, World War II, so not a lot of money around. Everywhere you went, of course, there were public gardens, as there are in England everywhere. And... Uh, after I would be tucked into the whatever bed and breakfast we were staying in that night, my mother would disappear. And the next morning in the sidecar would be another cutting. She she would have gone yeah, she would have gone off to the public garden that she'd seen and taken a couple of snippings. And so by the time we would get back to our home at the end of a couple of weeks, the sidecar was just like a greenhouse. Um And as I was telling this story, you know, I had a a really awful relationship with my mother, who was my adoptive mother. As I was telling this story, it suddenly dawned on me that I love my garden so much and I love gardening so much because that was the best part of her. Yes. And that the love that she had for that garden which of course is the love I would have liked to have had 
her give to me, was nonetheless love. And I'm carrying that forth into my gardens. So there's another example of how love may not come in the package that you want it to, but it endures somehow. What I hear in it too, isn't it interesting that sometimes... I see this in people when I'm interviewing them, that there are some people like you and me where we can have this face-to-face conversation, even mediated by Skype. Um, and there are other people who need to sit catty-corner to each other so they never need to look at each other. Isn't and they have a third thing. If you have a third thing to talk about, you can actually have a rich conversation. And what I'm hearing in this story is that through the garden there was love that got to be transmitted that it was couldn't be the way you needed it oh, but it well came said. through through the life yes. in that garden yes and i have to say and i i really i could weep right now i have mm. to say that when when i had that realization speaking with jani on sunday i i felt a love for my adoptive mother that I had never felt before. Oh, Maggie. Yeah. Yeah. How wonderful to reach a point where you can see something that may have been there all along, but you weren't able to see before. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's also a lesson, isn't it, in the ways in which we blind ourselves because certain needs aren't met, we allow it to color the entire frame instead of just the little blur that's really there. Or or maybe it does take up a large part of the frame, but up there in the corner, the sun is still trying to shine, you know. And and if we really can open up to that, we're going to find love, sometimes in tiny little packages, but, you know... What's also really lovely, Maggie, and I find this too, is that you found it through conversation with someone you love. Yes. That it was because Johnny saw you. You said you hadn't been seen before like that. Yeah. That you were able to touch this memory that then allowed you to see, oh, it was there. Yes. And, and there's a way in which, of course, I have not been seen by Johnny because I'm with a famous man Mm. and he is naturally drawn to that piece that is Joel. It's like he calls Joel Il Maestro. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for, for Johnny to tip his cap to me in a way that he normally tips it to Joel... you know, gave me a piece of love from a man that enabled me to feel love for my mother. How amazing is that? Yes, yes. And that it was because of your work. It was because of your creative work in the garden. Wow. Life is rich, huh? It is. It is, especially when we can take a moment to take it in. Yeah. Yeah. 